0: hello yo abuna anthony (laughs) how are you (laughs) i'm good how are you i'm great imagine that we're calling each other and i was thinking we should record it
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i'm so happy to hear that you're recording this conversation abo it's Uh, good to know when people are recording usually it's the opposite i find out they're recording much later
0: (laughs) (laughs) this is a a two-way permission state (laughs) yo have you been getting a billion questions about the wrath of god and how and whether or not god's like angry at the whole world right now
1: yes absolutely not uh not just a billion questions but like I've been getting challenged a lot on like, how do you know and where are you getting it from? And that's not what we're hearing and all of that good stuff. People are standing on both extremes of uh, the same spectrum.
0: Oh, so what have you been saying to that? Like to the challenge?
1: I think I'm just encouraging people to realize that maybe the traditional definition that they've been hearing or that they've heard growing up is not the only view that the church has carried. Um, I think I think people are just not open to hearing that there are different perspectives that ha- the church has been offering from a very, very long time. And I'm just trying to get them to be open-minded to see that you can't be one-sided in this conversation. Mm. Have you so been I getting mean, the same kind of questions?
0: Yeah, no, the same thing. Is God mad? Is it the wrath of God? And um, couldn't you say that this is God doing this, etc.? Um, so So then, you know what, like, why don't we hash this out? Um, How have you understood, maybe throughout your life, as well as maybe what you've come to now, what do you understand to be the church's teaching on God's wrath or God's punishment? Um, Is there such thing as God's wrath? Because I think a lot of people have also been, I've heard some people not just asking those questions, but I've also heard people go to another extreme of saying, there's no such thing as God's wrath um so can you speak to that what do you think
1: well i i definitely think we believe that there is such a thing as god's wrath to say otherwise would be to completely contradict scripture Mm -hmm. there is definitely such a thing as god's wrath and uh, and god's anger and we can't deny that that exists but i really do think that we have to have the proper definitions in order to understand it so we don't make it into something that it's not um, mm-hmm. So first and foremost, if anybody says "No, there is no such thing as God wrath and, and God is never wrathful or angry," uh, I would probably raise an eyebrow to that and say i'm not sure you and I are reading the same book of Scripture there, and um, mm-hmm. very clearly, there is such a thing. But what would be really interesting is to not only look at it from the perspective of god 's wrath as punishment, God 's wrath as judgment or as uh, vengeance. As if God is somehow an offendable being that when you push his buttons, uh, he can get so annoyed that he can suddenly just blow up on you. And that's what we have as an impression of God's wrath. Like enough is enough. I'm going to teach them a lesson. Um, Mm -hmm. I really think that's messed up. So I think people are viewing it only from the perspective of that punishment, that vengeance, that, that anger. And I don't think they realize that there is a very different definition that exists within the tradition of the church that is really worth considering. Which is what? Which is God's wrath is never oriented towards his people, his creation. Um, You know, the church, uh, Ambaboulis said this really beautifully. He keeps talking about this whole idea of our God is main Our God Mm. is lover of mankind. Like St. Anthony. (laughs) Like St. Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that he really does love his children. So I think the challenge here is to understand we really do believe in a God who is the same forever. From the beginning, from, you know, he, he, he is unchanged from the beginning, in the past, in the present, and in the future. So if God is always the same and unchanging,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how do we understand God's perspective towards us and towards sin? When we compare what we see on the cross to what's expressed in the old Testament and even now outside of scripture in the present times, it, it's most people will look at it and say, okay, I see a God of the old Testament and I see a God of the new Testament. And somehow in the age of grace in the new Testament, God has changed his dealings with us because we receive the Holy spirit. I right. think that's garbage. I think that's garbage. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe in a God who changes his perspective. Now that we have the Holy spirit, that's to, to say that he's changed uh, would be to completely contradict our liturgical prayers when we talk about God is unchanging or unmutable. It's not so much God that has changed as much as he's dealing with a nation or with the people that have grown. It's us who are changing and evolving. It's not so much him. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? What do you think about that idea of there is a God who acted in a certain way in the Old Testament and a God who acted a certain way in the New
0: no, I agree with you. Like if, if God is inconsistent with himself then then God is not immutable,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Like, so if God can change, that's a problem, I think for us theologically, um, Absolutely. because we claim that he, that he doesn't. Um, and I think, I, I guess, I think what people are maybe struggling to understand myself included, like throughout life, because it's not an easy concept is that I think because we are emotional beings and I think because we wrestle with our reactions to things um that i think we kind of put on god that he's going through that kind of issue and he doesn't right like mm-hmm. where where he's kind of trying to figure out how to respond to um us when it's not like god needs to figure out things you know what i mean like i think that it's so hard for us to grasp how god just is versus us who don't in the sense that we, we, we think about something, we have to rationalize something we can have right or wrong responses to something. We have emotions and all of that. Whereas God is stable. So it's like my understanding of, of, of God's wrath has always been this intersection between um, evil and good or darkness and light. Right? Like to me, it's like when dark, when lightness confront confronts darkness, it eradicates darkness Mm
1: -hmm. it's just
0: like it's like it's just in a consequence of of his actual being um and so i do believe that god has that wrath against evil um but it's not a wrath that's directed against the persons um sometimes those two are going to go together except that it makes a big difference about what it is that god feels this wrath towards
1: it's so interesting that you should say that. I just, I just finished reading. Uh, forgive me, I don't have off the top of my head the exact reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it was Gregory of Nazianzus. Gregory the Theologian, he was talking about this whole idea of you know, how it is that we are willing to present ourselves to physicians who, mm-hmm. who put us through an extreme level of violence, right? So for instance, a person who has a cancer. We want to destroy the cancer, not the person. But the only way to be able to destroy that thing within us that is killing us is to inflict an incredible amount of violence on the body to the point where mm. the chemo could actually kill the person. The chemo destroys the person's immune system. The blood cells are, they drop dramatically. Uh, the person loses all of their hair. There is an extreme level of fatigue. There's vomiting. It's an extremely aggressive process. It's right. almost wrathful. It's it's violent. Um And then finally, if they have the possibility, the physician will cut the person open. Mm -hmm. They will slice them open and they will act wrathfully, if you wish, towards Mm -hmm. the cancerous cells, towards that tumor. And then what do we do with the tumor? They completely obliterate it. They destroy it. Um, I'm not actually sure what they do, uh, Mm -hmm. what the medical practice is, but I'm pretty sure they actually destroy the thing. They cast it out. Um, And that's the only way to actually get rid of the evil that is found within the beloved. And I awesome. think that's, it's important to understand that, like, the, the wrath that is inflicted is not punishment. It is therapy.
0: That's gold. And and and, and sorry to, to jump in. That's gold. I think that's an awesome analogy. And I think there's something else being said there, apart from, from what you just stated, in terms of, it's therapeutic. But I think part of it is, what exactly is the nature of this evil? Like, is is, is evil... I think we we look at evil as always meaning in modern English, something intrinsically wrong. Mm -hmm. Whereas I wonder if sometimes when we use the word evil, we talk about unpleasant or discomforting or not our preference because actually this so-called evil of doing the surgery isn't, isn't intrinsically evil per se. You know what I mean?
1: That is very interesting it, it, it's it's you're right. it has nothing to do with this whole idea of in and of itself it is evil as much as it is the consequence of again, you spoke about darkness and light, right mm-hmm. this whole idea of it only becomes it only becomes evil when goodness is removed from it mm-hmm. um, and I think what's really dangerous is to assume that when God does put us through these methods where we undergo healing. And again, when we speak of healing in this context, it's got to be understood as, um, you know how it is that he's trying to purge humanity from uh, whether it be specific uh, ideologies or thoughts or behaviors or people. Um, you, know, I, you know what comes to my mind? that mm-hmm. The conversation between God and Abraham for Sodom and Gomorrah, right? right. Where he tells, he tells his friend, because Abraham was called his friend, um, he tells him, "This is my plan, right? I'm not going to hide my thoughts from you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do." So he tells this to Abraham, and then the conversation takes place, which really tells you, because all of us, all of us seem to remember Sodom and Gomorrah as one of the pinnacle, greatest examples of the wrath of God on people, right, in humanity. Mm-hmm. But take a look at the conversation that happened before it, so you can understand where it's coming from. So you're not only looking at it from a one-sided perspective. Abraham pleads with God and he says, God, if I find 50 people, 50 people, can I save them? And God says, Abraham, if you find 50 people, I'll save all of them. All of them. Abraham tries his luck and he says, what do I, if I find 40? He says, find 40, Abraham. I'll save all of them. Okay, God, let me, let me, let me try a little bit more here. What if I find 20? Abraham, if you find 20. And then finally... He says, what, what if, what if it's 10, forgive me, just let me try. Like, uh, let me see how mm-hmm. far I can push this 10 God, if I find ten, And God is willing to not inflict his so-called wrath, right? If he finds 10, so what does that, what does that tell you about the being that you are now identifying as wrathful? Mm-hmm. What does that tell you about? I, 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 this, I take no pleasure in, in, in cutting my people open and violently addressing the tumor or the canker that's destroying them. I take no pleasure in administering this kind of violence towards them. But if I must face evil, we cannot coexist, both them and I. It's incredible to see how it is that somehow when we speak of the wrath of God today, there's almost this perspective of a God who is vengeful, who's been dishonored, who has been disgraced, And he can't allow it anymore. It's almost like I stepped on his shoes and he can't take it. So he's going to wipe the floor with me now and make an example out of me because I've dishonored him in one way or another. That really doesn't make sense to me in light of, you know, the God who sent his only begotten son and the son crucified on the cross says, forgive them father for they know not what they do. The God who does not react to the sin of the Samaritan woman or or to Zacchaeus sin? The God who is willing to choose the illiterate uh, and the tax collector to be His chosen apostles, and I don't know—it just doesn't fit together. We gotta see the bigger picture when it comes to understanding what the purpose and the intent of that wrath is.
0: It's funny you use the um, that, like the Abraham example, because I'm thinking as well, in in especially with like the craziness right now with the whole COVID stuff. Um, is we have a real example actually now that can maybe make more sense to us in the sense of if we know that evil is spreading the disease, right? The whole world has responded by saying, close the door, right? Imagine if we knew that it could be contained to Europe. God forgive me for this analogy. I'm not saying we don't care about Europe, but Mm -hmm. imagine if it came to that of saying, okay, you know what, maybe the whole continent of Europe and Asia is going to have to die. We're going to quarantine them in there so that we can preserve all of humanity. That's a scenario that's actually kind of tangible to us right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas it might not have actually before. Um, Because to your point too, even like one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite books in the the Bible in general is Ezekiel. Um, But he actually... Says I'm pretty sure it's Ezekiel equal thirty three. Where where he says something the effect of as I live like like it's God swearing by himself. I don't take pleasure. Yeah, the wicked die, right? Like, Like I don't want them dead. I would much rather that he that he turn and live, which is which is what we say in the in the prayers. But I don't think people realize that we're not just saying that about God. We're not just saying. Um, but rather that he return and live. God said that like God like swore by himself um, saying that, and so like it 's combining all of what you just said of saying no it 's got to be it 's got to be restorative, I guess is the key like it 's not a the, the discomfort that he afflicts on us if you will, to use those words um, is is to fix it 's not um, it 's not because of his his disposition towards us right like what you're saying is right. to, to remove the pandemic or to remove the individual disease both of them cuz you used an example there of cuz you've given two examples now you gave surgery which is on a personal level right and you gave singapore which is on a communal level i was saying that mm-hmm. god cares enough to fix but what appears sometimes as the fixing we don't like um So then I guess this leaves one more important question because I've been asked this a billion times. I'll ask your opinion. We've been talking about right now when God is fixing what it looks like. Can we say right now that God is the one doing this, that God is doing COVID to fix us?
1: I hesitate with that. I hesitate with that just because I, I, I don't think that we should ever be speaking on behalf of God. And I don't think that any of us are in a state where we should take on the role of his spokespersons and then speak on his behalf and says, yeah, this is me, right? Especially in situations that we're in right now, where like, it's pretty blatantly clear that the COVID thing began because of an extreme level of ignorance um, when it comes to the whole you know, you know the, the stories that came out of the guy who ate the bat. <laughs> hmm. um, I mean, this, this is stuff that the World Health Organizations have confirmed is supposedly the cause of all of this. Um, could God be using COVID as a means to call on his people to repent and to turn to him? Absolutely. That's an example to me where we threw lemons, and he's going to make lemonade out of it, right? He, he's going to turn it into the best-case scenario the right. same way that he is, he's is more than capable of taking any of human offenses and any human evils and somehow turning them into an opportunity for glory. But to say that he is the author of this, as in literally he snapped his fingers and somebody the first person was infected randomly because God implanted it in him and then it became contagious, that's a really bold claim. That's actually a messed up claim in my mind and I'm not really sure how anybody would have the authority to make that claim. Um, so I would hesitate tremendously to speak on God's behalf. The other question that I would like to ask is how do we identify to begin with What mm-hmm. is did, did, what is can be attributed to God's wrath, e- even if it's properly understood and what can't be. So I'm thinking of stuff like, you know, all the school shootings that happen in the U S where random people just took up a rifle and, started killing people left and right. Was that God's wrath to awaken America's conscience?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. What about 9-11? Some people would claim that was God's wrath. How? How do you make that claim? Was that Mm -hmm. God's way of telling them, come back to me? Did God use those terrorists in that way? the 21 martyrs of Libya, God's wrath, the bombings of the churches on Palm Sunday. Now, some people might be very offended by me saying this because no, of course that's not God. That's extremism. That's Satan. So how, how, how do you even categorize that? I'm actually asking the question, rationally, mm-hmm. how do you make sense of which violences and evils you can attribute to God and which ones you don't? Is, right. it, is it just the, the, the nature of them? Is it the people who commit them? Is, see, this is why I hesitate to attribute it so quickly to God. But yeah. one thing I am 100% sure of, I'm 100% sure that there is an opportunity for us here to turn to God which again, brings us back to that therapy that we were speaking of, mm-hmm. regardless of who the author is, the solution is always that, is always the same, the coming back to him, the submission, the repentance, the, the deep desire within us to build that relationship, to reconcile, to be with him, to unite to him, to know him intimately. That is always the solution, regardless of who the author of the wrath is. Mm-hmm. So instead of me speaking on his behalf, I would much rather go immediately into solution mode because i don't know if this is if this is his wrath uh, or if i can even speak on his behalf i don't know what what do you think about this
0: no i agree completely i think you have to be very careful because the gift of prophecy is a gift right prophecy meaning to discern the actual word and will and meaning of god's words of saying god is saying that's 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 a real charism. It does exist, but it's a gift. And I don't think it's safe for us to presume it, um, no matter what we individually might perceive as signs or not signs. Um, But take a different twist on it, with everything you said, is also to look at the way the Desert Fathers taught us, right? Is to also look at it as saying, why not treat it like God let it happen on purpose, even if he didn't, right? Because I do think some people don't get that, God's not the one doing everything, right? In the sense of um, the example I've been using a lot is, okay, if we pollute the world, like there's no tomorrow, we put a hole in the ozone and then the next generation all gets cancer. Well, we, we did that, right? We can't say that God, God gave them cancer or that God in his foreknowledge made us pollute, which is not right, um, to teach another generation. Like, like it, it gets a little bit weird there, right? So it's to say, okay, Um, let me act like this is for my benefit and what can I learn from that right Mm -hmm. but I think even, even higher than that is the Christian calling is to live the gospel always period right no matter what the no matter what's going on around us right like my Christian calling doesn't change whether there's pandemic or not pandemic the exercise of my living the gospel might look different right in the same way that a monk and a married person are both called to live the Christian gospel and they're applying in different ways, in different contexts, but it's still the same gospel. It just might have a different way. The way that I sacrifice for a community is different than a way is not different, but it is different physically than the way spouses um, react to one another. So I think like, I do think that it's almost a waste of time for us to be yelling and screaming about what God is or isn't saying as though we're all prophets. Um, and instead is to like, get out there and um, and do stuff. Cause got to say like one thing that's bothered me a little bit, I'm, I'm going, I'm sidetracking a little bit. It kind of frustrated me was just seeing everybody kind of yelling and screaming at each other and everybody kind of making their opinion, the opinion. Um, and, mm. and kind of, making everyone else seem kind of dumb if they didn't agree for whatever reason. Um, Whereas I'm like, I don't know how profitable that is right now, when maybe what we should be more focused on right now is how do I live the gospel in this situation, regardless of what God does or doesn't mean um, as a thing. I don't mean that to distract from important questions that, that need to be asked, but just that maybe we get sidetracked too easily.
1: Agreed. Agreed. And I, and I think you, you know, how you were talking about, it doesn't really matter what the origin is, um, whether it be God or ourselves. Uh, I'm trying to think back to that example of the cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Does the medical system treat a person who has lung cancer any differently? If they know that he was the cause of that because he smoked for 30 years. No.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> at, the end right. The, at the end of
1: the day that the, the It doesn't matter if the person got lung cancer and he's never smoked a day in his life or if the person got lung cancer because he smoked Mm. for 30 years. What's important is to destroy the tumor. Right. Right. We we need to destroy the evil. Um, What's interesting to me is that by you bringing up what you just said, I'm actually starting to think that maybe we need to be wiser in realizing that there is a spiritual warfare. We're making this about who's right Mm. rather than actually administering the medicine or the therapy that is required for us to actually remove the evil. Exactly. While we're so busy fighting about this on social media, that's all time that could have been spent in his presence to
0: exactly. begin the therapy, the to so begin, begin the remedy. To put the patient's on the gurney. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. You know, I think um, there's, there's even times in the new Testament where we see God, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ react in ways where he's clearly angry at evil. And he doesn't hesitate. He walks into the temple, he cleanses it. And it's crazy because when you read the scripture, you know, I'm trying to think of what it would have been like if he would have done something like this in the 21st century in the age where everyone has camera phones, right? <laughs> he walks into the temple, he flips over tables and it says in the gospel that he fashioned a whip <laughs> and he chased them out. He literally, he couldn't, he couldn't handle seeing this abomination, this idea of, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Um, and I think if if people don't understand why that reaction, they really need to have a better idea of how it is those people were literally like, right. they were acting like thieves in the temple and they were desecrating the temple because they were offering people the possibility of purchasing sacrifices that didn't even meet the criteria. It was, right. it was so It was a horrible thing. <laughs> And he chased him. He flipped over the tables. He, like he, people, if people would have been there then with cameras to see that, they would have immediately tagged the Lord Jesus Christ as, you know, he's lost his mind or look at how angry he is. And, oh, is this the same guy who preaches peace? And, right. But, but he's reacting towards the evil. The, the same way. Um, the same way that I think it would be interesting for us to at the very least realize that, no, God is very clearly capable. Um, capable of demonstrating his anger towards the evil that exists in the world without necessarily associating it to the person that he wants to save. Like you said in Ezekiel, he says it actually in chapter 18 and he says it in chapter 33 Mm. where he says, do you really think that I desire the death of a sinner? Do you not realize that I want him to repent and live? And, And then this becomes fully manifest in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who Every time he meets a sinner, he actually offends the righteous by embracing the sinner, by lifting them up, by re- returning their dignity to them. I think, I think that, that, that aspect or that lens of seeing and understanding the wrath of God more as a fire that purifies rather than a fire that is made to consume and to destroy. Um, I think it's very needed right now. And if you don't agree then that's fine. For the time being, let's agree to disagree, let's stop arguing about it and let's all get on our knees and turn to God.
0: Amen. Mesha Father, I'm going to go uh, disinfect my place. Hopefully no one leaves the phone call. <laughs> yeah, try to, keep, try to keep it on a low. Yeah, who man. knows who might hear
1: this? Using your hands <laughs> from a six-foot distance. Yes, virtually greeting you there, Baba. Pray for me. No but I'm We going to keep in your purse. Me you too. Take Good care.